Good evening, my brothers and sisters. Once again, you listen to Wellness with Sinelia. Continue reading successful, very successful book, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude, Chapter 6. So, I hope your week was well. Mine too. So you've got a problem. That's good. Why? Why having problem is good? Listen to the book. Because repeated victories over your problems are the rungs on your ladder of success. With each victory you grow in wisdom, nature, and experience. You become a better, bigger, more successful person each time you meet a problem and tackle and conquer it with Piame. Stop and think about it for a moment. Do you know of a single instant where any real achievement was made in your life or in the life of any person in history that was not due to a problem with which the individual was faced. Everyone has problems. This is because you and everything in the universe are in a constant process of change. Change is an inexorable natural law. What is important to you is that your success or failure to meet the challenges of change are depending upon your mental attitude. You can direct your thoughts and control your emotion and thus regulate your attitude. You can choose whether your attitude will be positive or negative. You can decide whether you will affect use, control, or harmonious with the changes in your life and your environment. You can order your destiny too. When you meet, when you meet, your challenges of change with PMA, you can intelligently solve each problem with which you are confronted. How do you meet a problem with PMA? If you know and believe the first principal element of a positive mental attitude, God is always a good God, then you can affect you can effectively use the following formula and meet your problems. When you are faced with a problem that needs a solution, regardless of how perplexing it may be, first, ask for divine guidance. Ask for help in finding the right solution. Second, engage in thinking time for the purpose of solving your problems. Remember that every adversity has the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit 
for those who have PMA. Third, state the problem, analyze it and define it. Fourth, state to yourself enthusiastically, that's good. Ask yourself some specific questions such as, what good about it? How can I turn this adversity into a seed of equivalent or greater benefit? Or how can I turn this liability into a greater asset? Six, keep searching for answers to those questions until you find at least one answer that can work. Now, the problems that will confront you will, broadly speaking, be of three kinds. Personal problem, emotional, financial, mental, moral, physical. Family problems and business or professional problem. Because personal problems are the most immediate problems experienced by all of us, we would like to tell you the story of a man who met some of the most severe problems a human being can experience. As you read this story, see how he applied PME to the solution of each difficulties until he achieved ultimate victory. He made his challenge to change with PME at Leavenworth Penitentiary. This man was born in poverty. While in grade school, he sold newspapers and shine shoes in around the saloon on Seattle waterfront to help his mother meet expenses. Later, he became a cabin boy on an Alaskan freighter during the summer months. After he finished high school at the age of 17, he left home. He became one of the hoarder of hobos that rode the rail and traveled to every part of United States. His companions were hard-beaten men. He gambled, associated with ruffled men of the so-called border legion, soldiers of fortune, fugitives and smugglers, cattle thieves, you name it. And the like were his companions. He joined the forces of Pancho Villa in Mexico. You can't skate close to those extra legal operations without knowing about them, even if you have nothing to do with them. Charlie's words said, My mistake was being with the wrong companions. My miocin was associating with people who were bad. From time to time, he won large sums gambling 
and then lost them. Finally, he was arrested for narcotics smuggling. He was tried and convicted. Yet, throughout his life, Charlie's word maintained his innocence of the charge on which he was convicted. Charlie Ward was 34 years old when he entered Leventwort. He had never been in jail before in spite of his associates, and he was embittered. He vowed that no prison was strong enough to hold him. He looked for a chance to make a break. Then something happened. Charlie chose to change his attitude from negative to positive. He met the challenge to change with PMM. Something within him told him to stop being hostile and to become the best prisoner in the prison. From that day, very moment, the entire tide of his life began to flow in the direction most favorable for him. By the simple change from negative to positive thinking, Charlie Ward began to master himself. He changed the direction of his aggressive personality. He forgave the federal agent who had brought about his plea. He quit hating the judge who sentenced him. He took a real good look at the Charlie Ward of the past, and he resolved to avoid the very appearance of evil in the future. He looked around for ways to make his stay in prison as pleasant as possible. First, he asked himself some questions. And for the first time in his adult life, he found his answer in books. Particularly, the book. In his prison cell, he began to read the Bible. He read it and read it and reread it again thereafter and up to the date of his death at the age of 73. He read the Bible every day for inspiration, guidance, and help because of his change in attitude and consequently in behavior, he began to attract favorable notices from the prison officials. And one day, a convict clerk told him that a trustee in the power plant was to be released in three months. Charlie would know little about electricity, but there were books on electricity in the prison library. So he studied, he learned 
what those books could teach him. At the end of three months, Charlie was ready. He applied for the job. Something about his mannerisms and his tone of voice impressed the deputy within that what positive mental attitude he got the job. Because he continued to study and work with PMA, Charlie Ward became superintendent of the prison power plant with 150 men under him. He tried to inspire each one of them to make the best of his situation. When Herbert Huggies Bigelow, president of Brown and Bigelow of St. Paul, Minnesota, arrived at Leventon, Leavenworth on a conviction of income tax evasion. Charlie Wood also befriended him. In fact, he went out of his way to motivate Bigelow to adjust him to his environment. Mr. Bigelow was uh, so appreciative of Charlie's friendship and help that as his prison term approached its end, he told Charlie, you have been good to me. When you get out, come, check me out. I will have a job for you. Five weeks later, Charlie was released from prison and went to Simple. As he had promised, Mr. Bigelow gave him a job. He was given work as a laborer at $25 per week. Because Charlie worked with PME, he became a foreman within two months. After a year, he became a foreman, a superintendent. He climbing the ladder. Finally, Charlie was made vice president and general manager. And when Mr. Bigelow died, Charlie was made president of Brown and Bigelow. He continued in his capacity until his own death many years later. Under Charlie's management, sales rose from less than $3 million to over $50 million annually. Brown and Bigelow became the largest company of its kind because of Ward's positive mental attitude and his desire to help those less fortunate. He himself conceived peace of mind, happiness, love, and the better things in life. By presidential decree, his rights as a citizen were restored. In acknowledgement of his exemplary life, those who knew him held him in the biggest esteem and were themselves inspired to help others. Perhaps one of his most unusual 
unusual and commendable activities was his employment of over 500 men and women who had come from prisons. They continued their rehabilitation under his turn and understanding guidance and inspiration. He never forget that he too had been a convict. He wore a tag on his bracelet with his old prison number as a symbol. Charlie Ward had been sentenced to prison. That was good. Why? Who knows what might have become of Charlie Ward had he continued in the direction in which he was headed. But in prison, he met the challenge to change. And there, he learned to use PME to solve it and solve all his personal problems. He made his world a better world to live in. He became a bigger and better man. No one will ever know the exact number of the needy who have prayed for blessing to Charlie Ward in response to their inner thoughts. I was naked and yet clothed me. I was sick and yet visited me. I was in prison and yet come unto me. Fortunately, not everyone is faced with problems as severe as those which Charlie what was called upon to meet and solve. But there is a lesson in Charlie's story. In addition to the fact that he changed his attitude from negative to positive. You will recall Charlie himself said, My greatest mistake was being with the wrong companion. Negative attitudes are often contagious. <laughs> and bad habits are contagious. Let each of us look to our own bad habit. Okay? Associate and be certain to keep them on the highest possible level. One of the greatest services you can render to children is to motivate them to motivate themselves to select the right kind of friend and associate. Remember, vice is a monster of such awful mean that to be hate needs but to be seen yet seen too oft familiar with his face we first endure then pity then embrace hmm. another force with which every human being has no content and which if not met with PME can cause physical moral and mental destruction is the power of sex Sex presents the greatest challenge of change.
each human being has the power to choose for himself whether he will use the tremendous power of sex for good or for evil. Each human being must contend with the problems that will arise in his life because of sex. You can transmute sex into virtue or vice. One of God's greatest gifts to mankind is the power to procreate a human being. Sex is the means of procreation. It is power like all power. It can be used for good or for evil. Sex is a physical function of the body under the control of the subconscious and conscious mind. It is inherited. The physical sex organs work of God like all his creation are good. The little difference that makes the big difference between the power of sex being a virtue of a vice is mental attitude. The hearing emotion of sex is one of the most powerful forces of the subconscious mind. The effect of its motivating power can be observed long before adolescence. Thus, power blends with and intensifies the driving force of all other emotions when it is in conflict with the will of the conscious mind the power of imagination as it affects the emotion of sex has a tendency to win unless the conscious mind uses its power to affect issue control or harmonize with the powers of the subconscious you have the power to choose choose wisely with piami transmute sex into virtue thus you will win over one of the greatest problems you will ever have to face in your personal life and you will be physically mentally and morally better and what are the seven virtues? First virtue is moral practice or action, moral excellence, rectitude, value, chastity. The seven virtues are prudence, fortitude, temperance, justice, faith, hope, and clarity. Number one, prudence gives the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the exercise of reason. Second, fortitude 
strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. It is the possession of the stamina essential to face that which repel or frighten one or to put up with the hardship of a task. Impose it implies triumph. Synonyms are grit, backbone, pluck, and guts. Three, temperance equal arbitral moderation in the indulgence of the appetites of and passions. Four, justice, the principle or idea of just dealing or right action also conformity to this principle or ideal integrity. Five, faith equal trust in God. Six, hope equal the desire with expectation of obtaining what is des desired or believe that it is obtainable. Seven, charity, the act of loving all men as brothers because they are sons of God. Is stresses benevolence and goodwill in giving and in the broad understanding of others with kindly tolerance. Hmm. How can you transmute the power of sex into the good and the beautiful? A crystal clear answer can be found by you if you search for it as you read and study this entire book. Result will be achieved when you relate and assimilate the principles into your own life. But one must gain knowledge for himself. The following suggestions may be helpful as you search for your answer while reading. 1. Keep your mind on the thing you want and off the thing you don't want. This means that you keep your mind on immediate, intermediate, and distant desirable objectives. The instinct of sex in the subconscious mind will be patient if it has hope that you will fulfill life's mission. The boy or girl who is truly in love and plans to marry will not have the sex problem he or she might otherwise have. If there were more and often early marriages, there would be fewer sex problems. Life's mission to procreate is fulfilled in marriage. However, marry for love beyond the sex instinct. Three, 
Lead a well-balanced, four-square life. Four work long hours at the labor of love. It will keep you busy, occupied, your thoughts, and use up surplus energy. Five, develop a magnificent obsession. Study the significance to be found in chapter 15. Release and assimilate into your own life. The set in chapter 2. You can change your world. In chapter 7, learn to see. Select environment that will develop your best toward your objective. 8. Choose the self-motivation. Self-motivators for self-suggestion that you believe will help you. Memorize them. Make them a part of yourself so that in times of need, they will flash from your subconscious mind to your conscious mind as auto-suggestion. Not all the problem of one personal life, however, are of so deep and penetrating in nature. Many times all that is takes to meet an immediate problem it's quick thinking adaptability and taking a second look at the situation which is causing the problem and often takes only one idea followed by action to turn failure into success it takes only one idea followed by action to succeed when others fail. Hmm. In 1939, in Chicago's North Michigan Avenue, in an area now known as the Magnificent Mile Office, space was going big in. Building after building had empty floors. One that was half rented was considered lucky. It was a bad year for business. An enemy hung over Chicago. Really stayed like a cloud. You heard such comment as no sense in advertising. There just is not the money around. Or oh, what can you do? You can't fight the time. Then into this gloomy picture came a building manager with PME. He had an idea and he got into action. This man was hired by Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company to run a large building on North Michigan Avenue, which they had acquired in a mortgage foreclosure. When he took the job, the building was only 10% occupied. Within one year, it was 100% rent. 
with a long waiting list. What was the secret? <laughs> the new manager accepted the problem of no demand for offices as a challenge rather than a misfortune. Here is what he did as he explained in an interview. I knew precisely what I want. I want to have the premises 100% occupied with choice substantial tenants. I knew that under the prevailing conditions, it was likely that the offices would not be rented for possibly several years. I therefore conclude that we had everything to gain and nothing to lose by doing the following. First, I would seek out desirable prospective tenants of my choice. Second, I would stimulate the, Im the imagination of each prospect. I would often I will offer him the most beautiful offices in the city of Chicago. Third, I will offer him the superior offices of a rental no higher than the one he was now paying. Fourth, furthermore, I will assume responsibility for the, his present lease, provided he paid us the same monthly rental under a one-year lease. Fifth, in addition to all this, I would offer reduction without cost to the tenant. I would employ creative architect and interior decorators and remodel the offices of my building to suit the personal taste of each new tenant. I reasoned. If an office were not rented during the next few years, we would receive no income from that office. So we had nothing to lose by going into such arrangements. As are above described, we might come out at the end of the year with no income, but we would be no worse off than we would have been if we were had no access. And we would be better off because we would have satisfied tenants who would in the future use supply dependable rentals. Furthermore, it is an established custom to rent offices on a one-year basis only. In most cases, there would be only a few months left to run on the old list of my new tenants. Promising to assume those rentals was therefore for not too great a risk if a tenant should vacate at the end of his year, it would be comparatively easy to re-rent in well-filled building. The decoration of his office will not be money loss, as it would be 
you know, I would would have increased the equity value of the entire building. So, the result was marvelous. Each newly redecorated office seemed to be more beautiful than the other. That preceded, the tenants were so anxious that many expended additional sums. In one instant, a tenant spent an additional $22,000 in remodeling. So, at the end of the year, the building, which had started off only 10%, rent was 100% rented. None of the tenants want to live after his lease expired. They were happy with the new ultra-modern offices and regained their permanent goodwill by not raising the rent at the expiration of the first year lease. We would like you to think back over this story. Here was a man faced with a most serious problem. He had a giant office building on his hand that had nine empty offices. In its four, everyone that was occupied, and yet, within a year, his building was 100% rented. Now, Right next door, up and down, the magnificence mile, there were dozens of office buildings standing idle and practically empty. The difference, of course, was the mental attitude which each individual building manager brought to the problem. One man said, I have a problem. That's awful. The other said, I have a problem. That's good. <laughs> a man who says upon his problem as opportunity in disguise and scrutinizes. Then for the good element that is going to be there is the men who understand the very core of PMA. The men who develops an idea that can work and follows it with action will turn failure into success. Time and after time, the pattern repeats itself. Problems and difficulty turn out to be the best things that could have happened to us. Provide us, we translate them into advantages. As you recognize the problem which the building manager faced occurred during the depression, things were still plenty though in 1939 when he solved this problem. But they had been much worse. Now, the economic problems of the nation and of the world arose in 
as the result of the depression. Depression are caused by circle in the economic life of a nation or nations. But it is not necessary to sit idly by. There is no need to be beaten and tossed to and fro by the cycle of life. You can meet the problem of cycle and conquer it intelligently. In so doing, you can often acquire a fortune, make a fortune or achieve your aim by understanding cycle and trends. Many years ago, Paul Raymond, vice president in charge of loans for the American National Bank and Trust Company in Chicago, rendered a service to his bank customers. He sent them uh, Dewey and Deakins book cycles. Subsequently, many of these clients made fortunes. They learned and understood the theory of business cycle and trends. Some of them will be among those who won't lose the fortunes they acquire regardless of economic trend and changes. Edwards R., who has been the director for the foundation of the study of cycle for many years point out that every living organism be it an individual business or nation grows to maturity levels of and dies what is equally important he indicates a solution whereby regardless of the trend or cycle you as an individual can do something about it you can meet the challenge of change successfully you can change the trend as far as you and your interests are concerned regardless of the general trends with new life new blood new idea new activities he anticipates a downward cycle and prepared to go upright before newspapers publicize the recession that began in the later part of 1957. One of the bank's clients got into action. His organization when went after business aggressively with a positive mental attitude in 1958 his company developed a premium increase of over 30% compared to the previous year which had shown a 25% increase the entire industry however had a downward trend sometimes the cycle that presents a problem is not a cycle that affects an industry or an entire nation. It may be a cycle within an individual business only. These problems, too, 
can be anticipated and met. Witness the continual growth of many American corporations, in spite of the fact that in the normal course of events, they would have grown to maturity, leveled off, and died. E.I. DuPont, Denumus, and Co. Inc. is an outstanding example. They meet the challenge with new life, new blood, new ideas, new activity. It is unnecessary to point out that E.I. DuPont Inc. has continued to grow, but what is the cause of its success? Why has it not followed the natural cycle of growing to maturity, leveling off, and dying? DuPont has met the challenge of change, which new life with new life, new blood, new idea, new activity. Its executives have met this problem with PME and the determination to overcome it. They have continued to engage in research and are constantly making new discoveries. The developing new product and perfecting the previous products. They inject new blood into the management and study and improve their cell methods. Learn from their success. The owner of a small business or you as an individual can study and experiment. You can relate and assimilate the principles used by such a large corporation. You too can continue to grow with booster shots of new ideas, new life, new blood, new activity. You can change a downward trend into an proud one. You can be different. When others float downstream, you can move upstream. So many of the stories you have read or listened and will read in these books indicate that if you have a problem, that's good. It's good if you learn to see how to turn adversity into seed of equivalent or greater benefits. You may still not see the principle, however, the next chapter entitled Learn to See can help you. The Book of Roots, Chapter 1 In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while 
in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Melon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Melon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mothers. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husband? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I do, do you gonna still hope for me even if I had a husband tonight and then give birth to two sons? Would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Opakis, her mother-in-law, goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look said Naomi. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back to her. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me, 
When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stared at them because of them and the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very better. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, Okay, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the field behind the harvesters. As as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabite who come back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and had worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boab said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girl. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I 
found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner. Boaz replied, have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At meantime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip in it the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the others, he offered her some roasted green. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave order to his men. Even if she gathered among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stock for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So, wood glean in the field until evening. Then she stretched the belly she had gathered and it amounted to about an effort. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered, Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the men who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place he had, she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. One of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed 
close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until their barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a king's man of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threatening floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When you When he lie down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Hmm. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drink and was in good spirit, he went over to lie down at the far end of the green pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something stabbed the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a king's man redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, I surely, as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he pushed 
he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town when Ruth came to her mother-in-law. Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her, Everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me the sixth measure of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened, for the men will not rest until the matter is settled today. Ha! <laughs> Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took the ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said, To the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elmech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here at the, the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabite, you acquired the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kingsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier time in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transaction in Israel. So the kingsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced, to the elders and all the people. Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malun. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite Malun's wife, widow wife, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town we caught. 
today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those of the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you, by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The general. So Boaz took roots, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without the king's main redeemer. May he become famous to God Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said Naomi has a son, and they named him Obad. He was the father of Jesus, the father of David. This man is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Ezron. Ezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. <laughs> Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nathan. Nathan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, and Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jes, and Jes the father of David. The end. What a story. Very good. So, you see, why I read uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth, is because uh, when you read the success to positive mental attitude, the chapter six I read said, you have a problem? Good. Yeah, that's what the book said. The title said, you have a problem? You've got a problem? That's good. That's good. So, if you don't have a problem, you cannot expect for a solution. And if you don't have, if you have solution, you have to find a problem to give the solution. And to find solution, you have to have a problem to find solution. So, what happened? What happened with those two books? The books of Roots and the Successful positive mental attitude. What they're trying to tell you. 
is this. When you keep a positive mental attitude, okay, you have a problem, always know that there's somebody that have a solution. And with a positive mental attitude, it will connect you with the person who have the solution or help you find a solution. Because remember, everything is between us. You have a problem, maybe Peter may have the solution or Mary have the solution. And then you keep a mental positive attitude you will connect with that person. And your enthusiasm will attract that person. That's what the book is trying to tell us. Don't let problem make you be angry or evil or mean. You're walking like you carry the whole world on your shoulder. In the Bible, even God said, he said, Don't be faint. Don't let people see what you're going through. Keep a smile on your face. Put oil in your face. Let the people see that everything going well for you. And then the Father who see in secret will grant your wishes in secret. In secret. So that's the reason why American have a saying, fake it. Till you make it. Doesn't matter what is going on in your life. Fake it. Not fake it going to death. Not fake it and buy what you don't have. Not fake it to spend what you don't have. Not that. Not that. Fake it is keeping a good attitude. Fake it is to keep a smile in your face. Fake it is to wake up every morning even though this mountain is in front of you. Pretend like you have no mountain in front of you. That's fake it. Fake it even though you see you last on the street. You're in the middle of nowhere knowing that God gonna send somebody to rescue me. God gonna send somebody to show me the way. Or he will show it to me himself. Because remember, if he can find nobody to, 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 to match with you, he will help you cross the river or the sea. He will make a way inside the sea for you, just like he did for Israelite. He could have found another way for them. He could have. He's God. But he did that to show you, even in the middle of the sea, that big wild sea, he can make a way to solve your problem. Until next time.